Hey, Coastal Church, a South Church. Uh, thanks for letting me join with you again this week. Uh, thanks for letting me come last week. It felt like I was with you, but I know I wasn't with you. No matter how smooth we make this, we know we're not in the same room doing this, but uh, it really felt like I was with you last week. Uh, we recorded this, and then uh, on the weekend, we all had services. And then Sunday night, the messages started rolling in. Uh, South Church people, I was getting texts from you, uh, thanking me for the word, thanking me for us diving into Revelation. Coastal Church, you were dropping notes. It felt like even though the camera in the distance kind of kept us apart, it felt like we were doing this together. Thanks for risking. Thanks for trying something different. We may experiment with the method over the next little while, but to get to do this and to preach as one campus and one family feels really good. So thank you for that. Uh, I also heard Coastal, you had an awesome Sunday. Uh, I heard there was a crazy turnout. I heard Jay dedicated, or maybe it wasn't Jay, maybe it was Alex, or the, I should say the pastoral team dedicated a bunch of kids. And I heard you dedicated seven kids. That's very revelation of you. Uh, you will come to find out that the number seven is very perfect and very appropriate. So Coastal, way to go. Uh, way to be very revelation as you do your kid dedications. Uh, South Church, thank you. You hosted the world's largest small group in human history on Wednesday night. Uh, we posted that we we're going to have a small group and come around, bring a coffee and study the Bible. And half of Yarmouth showed up. So thank you, South Church, for being great hosts. You had the chairs out. You had the atmosphere. The place felt cleaner. It felt like it was prayed over. It was just awesome to gather together. And so Coastal, congrats on your Sunday night. I know you're diving into Revelation uh, as a small group as well real soon. South Church, thank you for hosting us and thank you for uh, opening your doors to us. Uh, just by showing of hands, how many of you tried reading Revelation for the first time? Just stick your hand up nice and high. Uh, your pastors will love to know that you are diving in and reading. I'm not saying raise your hand if you understood what you read. Just raise your hand that you tried to read it. Uh, if you've not tried to read it yet, can I just encourage you as your pretend pastor for a few moments, try one chapter a day. Uh, on this page alone in my Bible, I have one chapter and a couple verses. This would take you four or five minutes to read one chapter. And if you feel eager, uh, you can get the audio Bible and you can listen to the whole book of Revelation in just over an hour. So if you didn't have your hand up, if you have not tried it yet, why not try that today? Why not try it this week? Try one chapter a day or uh, get a tablet, get your phone, download the YouVersion Bible app and you can listen to somebody read it to you and you can do all 22 chapters in just over an hour. But enough of that. Are you ready to dive into week two? I hope you're ready. I hope you brought your Bibles and your notebooks. I came prepared with my gear and I am ready. And here's the first thing I want you to know. Knowing what kind of book you're reading is as, as important as the content you're reading. Knowing what kind of book you are reading is as important as understanding the content you are reading. People tell me all the time, I study the Bible literally, or I read it literally. And I don't know if that's kind of a badge of honor. I don't know if that's kind of a church flex or what it is that you study it literally. My concern is not that you study it literally. My concern is you would study it literally as the author intended. It's one thing to read Psalms and study Psalms literally, and it's one thing to read Romans literally. Psalms is poetry. It's emotion. 
it's songs, it's lament. There's all kinds of things going on there. Whereas Romans is like a theological powerhouse, a theological treaty for the foundations we stand on. One is Romans is close to an academic work and Psalms is the heart on display. Honest conversations between broken humanity and a holy God just pouring out. So to say you study the Bible literally, that's only as helpful as you know what you're studying literally. So if you're studying poetry, literally as poetry, phenomenal. If you're studying uh, the foundations of our faith and the nuance of theology, literally, phenomenal. But you need to know the difference. If you go to Proverbs, uh, God's guiding words of wisdom, and you study that the way you read Acts, the historical account of the birth of the church and the explosion of the church through the countryside, two literal readings, but you better know which one you're reading. And if you misapply uh, your principles, you can get into some very weird territory. And so when you come to the Bible, I affirm you studying it and reading it literally, but know what you're studying. Now, I bring that up because genre matters. Uh, the kind of book you hold in your hand matters. And you hold uh, the book of Revelation in your hand and you have what bumps into you right out of the gate is multiple genres happening at the same time. You need to catch this. So let me read verses one, two, three, and four to you. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants that things must soon take place. He made it known by sending the angels to the servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one that reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Did you catch that? The revelation of Jesus Christ. We already touched on last week the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. So you have the apocalyptic literature. You have the blessing for those who keep the words of this prophecy. You have a prophetic word. And then you have your letter from the pastor, John, to the seven churches. <clears throat> you have the apocalyptic literature, which Revelation is most known for, and rightly so. You have uh, a pessimistic present with a hopeful future breaking into the scene. That's apocalyptic literature. It is acknowledging times are tough, but there is a very real hope that is out there that is breaking into and making your present pessimistic reality home. So what looks difficult today, there is a hope on the horizon that is cracking into your present reality. A prophetic word is not predicting the future any more than apocalyptic word is. A prophetic word is, uh, uh, thus saith the Lord, a word of comfort or a word of challenge a word of judgment or word of salvation about the situation you're in or the path you're on. So the Old Testament prophets would roll into a city and say, God has seen you. God has seen the sinful ways you're uh, going about your business. And if you stay on this path, God will do such and such. However, if you repent of your ways and get off the path you're on, God will then do such and such a thing. So an apocalyptic word is a word of hope breaking into your present from the future. A prophetic word is a present word about the situation and path you're on, about the future you're stepping into. Then you have the pastoral letter. This will all be super important if you hang with me. The pastoral letter 
is a pastor writing to a specific group of people. It's for a time and a place. It says, John to the seven churches. Now, if you want to entertain yourself for four or five hours this afternoon or tomorrow, go and Google which John wrote the book of Revelation. Have fun, church. Let me say this to you. The book of Revelation does not answer. You can scour front to back. You can turn the Bible upside down. You can read it in French and English or Spanish. It does not matter. The book of John is not going to tell you, but there is a plethora of information you can play in to try to guess which John it is. Have fun with that one. What's not a mystery are the seven churches in Asia Minor. That's modern day Turkey. Uh, we don't know why those seven churches. There could be a lot of speculation of why them and not a different church. Why seven? Well, ask Jay why he dedicated seven kids on last Sunday. And maybe we get a hint as to why seven churches. Why those seven? We aren't sure. So apocalyptic, prophetic, and pastoral letter. If you played basketball growing up, you may remember a three-man weave going down a court where the ball moves between three people. John is masterful as he writes out his book doing a three-man weave through apocalyptic and prophetic and pastoral writing. Please keep that in mind. Because what's about to happen is he's going to go heavy, heavy pastor mode. If you have your Bibles, look at verses 4 down through 8 and watch Pastor John. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. <clears throat> Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and is to come, the Almighty. Now, I really want to get amped up and actually be at all the campus at the same time and preach to you because Pastor John is letting it rip here. Now, you might not hear it at first, but hang with me. You see that opening greeting, grace and peace. Coastal, who does that sound like? I ask you because South Church is going to be screaming out. They know who that sounds like. So who is that? That sounds exactly like Paul, does it not? Grace and peace to you. Go through Paul's letters and look how many times they say grace and peace. Grace to you and peace from our Father. That's more than kind of a blind, empty greetings. In our foyer at church, we're going to do the whole, hey, how are you? Keep him busy. We're going to do all the empty greetings back and forth. And when we say, hey, how are you? Can we agree we don't want a sad answer? We just want you all to say, I'm good. When John, not Paul, when John says grace and peace, this is not an empty greeting. This is a pastor's heart saying to my people in the face of opposition and trial, grace to you. Unmerited, undeserved favor. That's the message. That's not a blind greeting. John is praying grace over people in trials. In the face of opposition, may you have unmerited, undeserved favor upon you. Then he says, peace to you. Peace, that unresolved, 
calm confidence in God. Peace between me and my maker, peace inside me, and peace between me and the people around me. Grace and peace to you. I don't know about you, but do you feel that? How many people sitting here right now would say, oh, give me some more. I will take more grace and I will take more peace. Who doesn't want that? John, knowing this is far more than just a greeting, says grace to you, peace from, and then here's how he does it. He's going to give all the credit. These two gifts that we all want are from who is and who was and is to come. You know who that is, right? That's the Father. He's going to say these gifts come from God the Father. The second thing he's going to say is it comes from the seven spirits. Now, this is again where you get into some of that apocalyptic, prophetic, foreshadowing, looking backwards. Uh, you can go down the rabbit hole this one too. I believe, as many scholars believe, that is an allusion to Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. Isaiah 11, 2, you can go look at that where Isaiah is writing, and he gives a sevenfold description of the Holy Spirit. So what I think I see, and I think what John is doing is grace and peace from the Father, from the sevenfold Holy Spirit, as Isaiah spoke of, and from Jesus Christ. Now, watch what Pastor John does. From the Father, from the Spirit, and from Jesus Christ. And then he rolls out kind of a Trinitarian description inside the Trinity. He says, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. That's uh, an artistic description of the resurrection and the ruler of the kings of the earth. So you want grace and peace? It comes from the Father, the Spirit, and the Son. Who is the Son? And he gives this, this, this threefold description, the faithful witness, the first of the resurrection, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I mean, this is Pastor John just showing off. You want grace and peace? You want to be blessed? Here's the source of the blessing. Here's the blesser. Then Pastor John moves from uh, the blessing and the blesser into a call to worship. Now, I really loved studying the call to worship this week because I think for you and I think for me, can we agree we hear call to worship and we think, get the guitars out, get the drums, have some worship music? John gives his call to worship, and here's what he says when he does it. To him... So to him, he's pointing to him, Jesus, the threefold description we just got, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Pause for a second. And if I can just say to you, what if worship isn't the songs we sing? John says, to him, then we'll cut out just the middle for a second, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. He's pointing all glory and honor to Jesus. But what if our worship wasn't the songs we sing? What if worship was actually the one we are in allegiance to? What if our worship was way more about our loyalty than our music? See, this is a direct shot at the Roman Empire. We're going to see through this book where heaven and earth get into battles and kingdoms. We, this is our first glimpse 
into John taking a direct shot at the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire that notoriously deified the Caesars. It was nothing to have an earthly ruler be worshipped. It was nothing to call them the son of man or the son of God. It was nothing for them to have statues. Do you remember Daniel? Do you remember King Nebuchadnezzar putting up the 90-foot statue and then calling all the people in not to honor, to worship the statue? And Daniel said, listen, honor for sure, but I'm not giving my allegiance, my loyalty, or can we put John's, my worship to a mere mortal. And so when John says, all glory and dominion, he should say, it'd be less offensive, all glory and honor. But dominion, your Bible might say power. So it's a shot at the ruler of the day. If you want to talk about glory and power, I will tell you who I'm giving it to. And I'm giving it to one person. That was meant to be offensive. So he moves from the blessing of the blesser. He moves into the call to worship. And then he moves into the pastoral hope. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Here we go again. Last week, the debate was over soon. Last week, the debate was over uh, the time is near. And here we are, behold, he is coming. And everyone says, when? When is he coming? So with one loud voice, you can go ahead and say when, and I'll say, we don't know. He didn't want us to know when he's coming. He wanted us to know that he is coming. Do you see the, do you see the dance that John is doing between future and presence? He says here, he is coming. And then he says, every eye will see him. Appropriate grammar would be, he is coming, and every eye does see him. There's a future and a present dance where I think we've realized Jesus is coming, and he will come. Church, the kingdom of heaven is cracking into Southwest Nova. Jesus is coming and moving actively in our midst now. And yes, he will come again, second advent, one day. Pastor John is not trying to start a debate or get the pooling odds on when. He's trying to lay down a pastoral assertive confidence that he is coming. So John's doing all this thing in this intro. Pastor John, he is just pastoring his people. And then all of a sudden, it switches. In verse 8, look at the speaker. It goes from John saying these things and John writing to all of a sudden God speaks and God steps in almost as a response to his people. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's, that's your alphabet, right? The beginning and the end. I am the first and the last. I am the one who is and was and is to come. The Almighty. John calls his people to worship and God responds to the praise of his people. Just pause for a moment. I had a couple thoughts as I was reading this. Uh, one, I love the call to worship, but here's what hit me this week. John is so, so confident in God. Go back and read that. Look at how confident John is in his God. Look at how confident John is that God will give grace and peace. 
God does love us. God does free us. God does rule. He does set us up as priests. Like, look at the affirmation and confidence in God. He is coming again. Every eye will see him. John is so, so confident in God. What John's not certain of is if we will do our part. John is rock solid confident that God's going to do his part. What the book of Revelation is going to lay out is are we going to do our part? That hit me because I think in our day today, we are so, so confident that we are doing our part. We are so arrogantly confident that we are right. And our uncertainty is if, if God will do his part. Do you hear it? John is rock solid that God will do what God can do. His mystery is, will we be faithful? In our modern day, we are rock solid confident that we are right. And we wonder and we doubt if God will do his part. In John's confidence, sitting on the island of Patmos, arrested for the gospel. I'll see you next Sunday. We'll talk about that in a second. In John being arrested on the island of Patmos, in all of his confidence in God, here's what he says. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Us, in our modern day, in our world, in all of our confidence, in all of our arrogance in the self, you know what we say? Anxiety, stress, identity crisis, anger, outrage, cancel culture, shoot and cannibalize each other. John is so confident in his God and he extends grace and peace. And we have a generation who is so confident in the holy self and we are marked by terror and anxiety, and crisis, and depression, and anger. I don't know who you're all in on, but I want to be with John, and I want to go all in and be confident in my God. If I'm going to stand on something, I want to stand on him. I don't know what you stand on. I don't know what you are standing in or on, but may I just say to you, Grace and peace is available.